Welcome to episode 159 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist Markham Hislop. According to new modeling by Clean Energy Canada and Navius Research, Canadian jobs in clean energy are set to grow 7% a year from 509,000 in 2025 to 2.7 million in net zero 2050. I'm going to talk to Stefan Power, a senior analyst at Clean Energy Canada, about the report. So welcome to the interview, Stefan. Thanks for having me. Now, I'm I'm very interested in this because the one of the first issues that comes to mind is how we define a clean energy job and how we define a fossil fuel energy job. So maybe run us through how you decided what was what kind of a job. Right. So Clean, the clean energy sector is really a varied cross-Canada employer, and um, it's a truly pan-Canadian opportunity. It can be the assembler working electric vehicles in Windsor, or the construction worker building energy-efficient housing in Yellowknife, or a drill operator on a geothermal plant near Saskatoon. And um, a big part of the clean energy sector is, you know, we, we hear a lot about EVs. And uh, that that's one part of it. We also have the clean energy supply sector. Um, we have clean buildings and, and we have clean industry. So that's on the clean side. And then on the fossil fuel side, this is basically the rest of the, the energy economy that's not part of the clean sector, essentially. And so that's predominantly... Uh, gasoline vehicles, um, the traditional oil and gas industry without any mitigation measures. And so so that's more or less the high, high level overview, how, how we separated things. Uh, given this is a modeling exercise, is the, uh, well, the 1.5 million job decline in fossil fuels in a net zero scenario, uh, is that direct jobs? Or is it direct and indirect and induced jobs? Or what are we talking about here? Yeah, so our methodology um, accounts for direct jobs and indirect jobs. So it's a widely cast net, but both on the clean energy side and the fossil fuel side. So we're comparing apples and apples. Um, so, you know, I mean, the important news here, the good news is, is that in a net zero scenario, Canada will see 700,000 more energy jobs in 2050 than we have today if countries achieve their stated climate goals of net zero. And the key difference is that most of the energy jobs will be in clean energy rather than fossil fuel energy. And basically here, what it means is that growth in clean energy jobs will outpace the decline in fossil fuel ones. And they're going to be almost 3 million clean energy jobs in 2050. But for this to happen, Canada must keep up. So we need to invest in these new industries like EV manufacturing, batteries, sustainable mining, clean hydrogen, clean electricity. And crucially, we need strong policies that shift our entire economy to be more sustainable. Well, the framework for this, obviously, is the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act, which was introduced last August. That's $369 billion that will be uh, directed to 
clean energy technologies and industry of, of one sort or another. And I've talked about this on other podcasts. The Americans uh, have gone uh, hard on modern industrial policy. Uh, this is something, you know, Canada, uh, not that long ago, a couple of years ago, we were talking about, oh, we don't want to get too far ahead of the U.S. We want our carbon pricing and so on. And in one fell swoop in 2022, the Americans have leapfrogged way, way over us because it's not just the U.S. Inflation Reduction Act. It's also the Chips and Science Act for $280 billion. It's the U.S. Bipartisan Infrastructure Investment Act for another well, it's approximately $300 billion. They're spending between now and 2030 over a trillion dollars. So we would have to spend here in Canada at the national, and this is at the federal level, at the level of the national government, we would have to spend approximately $100 billion between now and 2030. I know we've got a budget coming tomorrow. So, you know, it's a little hard to say, you know, we don't know what, what the, uh, the federal government will introduce, but what's your take on, will we have enough capital available at the federal level to, you know, do what needs to be done on clean energy industry? I think for, you know, it's great that you're highlighting the, the United States uh, Inflation Reduction Act. Um, what I would say is, uh, you know, given that Canada's economy is comparatively smaller, much smaller than the U.S., so it's really important that the federal government uses targeted um, and strategic measures um, with support as opposed to, like, sweeping measures. But what you're also highlighted is, is really important here. It shows us that the energy transition isn't just inevitable. It's already a reality. Look at our biggest trading partners. You mentioned the U.S. and the Inflation Reduction Act. There's China, the EU. Like The, the EU has its own multi-billion euro green deal industrial plan. And when you look at it, 85% of people in the world today live in countries with net zero commitments. And recently, the number of people working in clean energy jobs globally actually overtook the fossil fuel jobs for the first time. That's according to the IEA. So it's not a question of balancing climate action with the economy as it's often been framed. Canada basically either keeps up or we become an economic backwater, and that would be irresponsible and reckless. So government-led climate action and investment in clean energy will help Canada build a stronger, more competitive clean energy sector that sets us up for long-term success. This is a really key point because I think the the you know the argument has been made over the years that uh, countries, and I think Canada, you know, in many ways has, has led this trend, which is all, you know, lots of talk, no action. And then the Trudeau government came along in 2015, and it was lots of talk, a little bit of action, then a little bit more action, then a little bit more action. So we're now, I think we're at least respectable, but it's not, we're not like the EU. And we're not like, like China on the clean energy technologies. But I think what's different about this now is that, and I'll, and I'll, I'll refer to the IEA, uh, in 2021, the IEA said in the World Energy Outlook, it said there is a new energy economy emerging around the world as clean energy technologies pass their inflection point and, and take off at great speed. So, so that was 2021. 2022, what they said was the very the, the switch to clean energy has now kicked off 
a clean energy technology industrial revolution. And so those are where the jobs, well, not all the jobs, but a lot of the jobs are going to be making batteries, making electric vehicles, making, you know, solar panels and and wind turbines and all, all of that. And, and that is the thing, it's the chasing the capital for those investments, not wanting to be left out of it, that I think is actually, in my opinion, more conducive to the switch to clean energy jobs than it is climate policy. Clean energy industrial policy is more potent in creating clean energy jobs than climate policy. Would you agree or disagree with that? You know, I, I would say policy is, is absolutely crucial and it goes hand in hand with like, you know, if you have strong policies, then that signals, hey, this is a place that uh, we welcome these clean energy investments. And this is, as I as I laid out, this is basically the transition that's ongoing and it's just going to go more and more. And the interesting thing that we found in our research is actually, you know, we also looked at a scenario in which uh, a future government might want to roll back some climate policies. And what we found is that doing that will actually not create a stronger energy sector. It's likely going to weaken the energy sector and we will have fewer overall energy jobs actually. So in the net zero 2050, there's still going to be some fossil fuel jobs. Uh, but specifically when you look at in oil production, uh, they're projected to decline by 98%. And even if we walked back our climate efforts, that number barely changes. So basically, Canada cannot protect the oil sands from an inevitable global energy transition. Domestic, domestic policy cannot save a global industry. So right now, what we need is to invest in the future, you know, reskilling our workforce while there's still time to make this a smooth transition. And many workers already have the fundamental skills like electricians, pipe fitters, engineers, welders, you know, uh, drillers. These are clean energy jobs too. I'm going to ride my my favorite hobby horse uh, for a moment, Stefan. Uh, regular listeners will will are probably rolling their eyes because they know what's coming, but uh, bear with me for a moment. I, I am uh, convinced that the Alberta Innovates in, uh, research into bitumen beyond combustion, basically taking bitumen and transforming it into precursor for carbon fiber and asphalt binder and activated carbon, plus captured CO2 into advanced materials. Uh, I think that if successful, we will see a transition from, in the oil sands, bitumen being used as feedstock for fuels to feedstock for materials, and I think we'll see uh, uh, we'll see a lot of those jobs in the oil sands exist, perhaps out even past uh, 2100 into the 22nd century, if it all works out the way I, I think. But I don't imagine you modeled any of that because it's all speculative at this point. I mean, these are not these are not uh, technologies that are ready to go. They're still in the lab, and so I don't imagine you did model it, right? Well, we, we modeled uh, regionally, um, we, we have regional breakdowns from the modeling and you'll be pleased to hear that despite the fact that our modeling didn't account for obviously uh, highly speculative or very early stage uh, technologies, um, but you will be pleased to hear that the Alberta clean energy sector 
uh, will grow 10% per year out to 2050 in our net zero scenario. That's the fastest of any province or territory. Um, there will be more energy jobs in Alberta than there are today. Even in Alberta, with clean energy job growth, outpacing fossil fuel losses. And Alberta has a number of advantages, you know, the best wind and solar resources in the country. Um, Alberta's oil and gas industry gives it significant carbon capture and storage potential. So jobs in, in that area for industry are set to grow almost 900% to close to 40,000 jobs by mid-century. Um, Alberta has also significant potential for clean hydrogen production. Uh, lithium extraction for batteries, energy efficient construction, clean tech, lots more. So it's a, it is going to be a different looking energy sector, but Alberta could be on track to have a strong clean energy sector. I would have to agree with that. I've uh, The work that I've done in uh, the Alberta, the emerging hydrogen economy, the potential for critical minerals, the potential, and this is really important, uh, there is no battery metals refining and processing sector right now. And Alberta, should it choose to invest in that and promote it with policy and regulation, has the opportunity to build out that sector for much of North America because China has it all right now. And so we could we could build it in Alberta. I've talked to experts who, you know, understand the minerals that are there already and and the, the potential. So I, I would agree with you. Uh, and the other thing that Alberta has, because it is the epicenter of the uh, of the oil and gas industry, is is people. It has more engineers per capita than Ontario and Quebec and any other province, and it has a, a well developed uh, innovation ecosystem. Uh, that turns out, uh, when I was there last week, uh, I I interviewed a company called uh, I think it's Inova or Imova. Anyway, they they're working on uh, methane pyrolysis. I'm sorry, methane pyrolysis to basically uh, take methane. Uh, you got four hydrogen atoms and a carbon atom. You pop off the carbon atom, and you get uh, you get hydrogen without any of the nastiness around steam methane reforming, and 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 you also get a, a, a carbon black or graphene or something that you can sell. I talked to you know the, the Alberta innovates people about all the stuff that the, there is more technology on the energy side, clean energy side, coming out of Alberta than you can shake a stick at. And it's a kind of an untold story there. And and part of our mandate in this year and next will be to tell that story. So just as an aside for energy, energy talks podcast listeners, you can kind of stay tuned for that. Uh, the other one I want to talk about is we'll get to BC and Quebec in a moment, because those are obvious ones, right? You know, big hydro provinces and, and very progressive uh, energy policy. What about Ontario? I don't know what to make of Ontario. It on, on the one hand, it says, you know, like Doug Ford, the premier there says, well, you know, we want electric vehicle manufacturing plants and we want battery plants and we want this and we want that. But do you think I'm going to put any money on the table for it? No, let the federal government pay. It, it seems like there's very mixed signals coming out of, uh, out of Queens Park these days. Yeah, so Ontario uh, is interesting. Uh, definitely also very strong clean energy sector job growth, jobs in electric vehicles are on track to grow 17% per year, applying almost half a million people in a net zero 2050. That's up from, you know, five to 10,000. And, um, uh, you know, actually there has recently has been an announcement by Volkswagen, right? So we're seeing it right. already happen just the other week, Volkswagen announced 
that the very first North American battery gigafactory will be in Ontario. Um, other sectors of the clean energy area that are you know, poised for growth in Ontario is low carbon steel, for example, um, set to be a much bigger employer in a net zero world, um, jobs growing massively, um, you know, something like 12,000% or something from practically zero to like 7,000 jobs in, by mid-century. So very strong uh, clean energy so sector job growth also in Canada's largest province. Yeah, we could say that makes perfect sense because there are over 700 parts suppliers uh, and manufacturers in Ontario that support the big uh, the big uh, auto uh, industry there. So it would make sense that that you know that they're invest they've got a development strategy going, they've got a, a well-established supply chains. Uh, that all makes sense. But here's the thing I don't understand about about Ontario, Stefan, and I would be interested to see how you modeled it, and that is. Uh, uh, Ontario's conflicted approach to clean energy, clean electricity, because we've argued here at Energy Media for a long time that clean, abundant, low-cost, reliable electricity is the foundation of the 21st century economy. If you don't have that, you're not going to attract battery plants. And we already saw one that uh, didn't uh, set up in Ontario, set up in Quebec, because it couldn't provide the electricity. So the the uh, Ontario government is looking at, at ramping up natural gas power generation. It has uh, uh, it doesn't have a climate plan. I mean, it's been very backward on the clean energy sector itself. How did that play into your modeling? Well, so our net zero scenario is basically um, it's policy agnostic. So it, we we applied a greenhouse gas emissions cap on all of Canada and the model shows us in which areas of the economy is it um, the cheapest to reduce emissions, that's where the reductions will happen. And so, it, you know, it's policy agnostic and uh, it's it shows us the pathway that is the least costly to, to arrive at net zero in 2050 Canada wide. So it can mean that some areas of the country will decarbonize faster than others. Um, but but that's basically how how we did that for the, our big net zero scenario. Did you assume that there would be a lot of wind and solar and, and uh, battery storage capacity installed in Ontario? Uh, I don't have the Ontario results in front of me specifically, but um, well, uh, don't worry, I do don't worry that about the it. energy energy storage is actually not even part of the model um, because this particular model that we used uh, by Navius uh, called GTEC actually doesn't include uh, energy storage. So oh. the numbers I gave you don't don't even include energy storage jobs in Ontario or anywhere in Canada. But uh, for sure, I mean, you know. Uh, uh, renewables are seeing strong growth across Canada. I mean, depends, uh, you know, there are areas where they're more more um, uh, promising than others, but uh, certainly, I mean, you know, any kind of zero, zero emission electricity is going to feature strongly in a net zero scenario. Well, it's very interesting that you, that, that the Navius model uh, didn't include battery storage because there are a number of promising uh, energy storage companies in Canada. Uh, Hydro Store out of Toronto would be one. There's a company whose name I, I interviewed the CEO and I can't remember the company name, but they're introducing zinc 
ion batteries for uh, stationary energy storage. I think they're based out of Halifax. And that's fascinating because the, it gives you the same performance uh, as lithium ion, uh, but at 30% less cost. And he claims that, you know, they can put it in your garage. They can, they can do it at utility scale if you want. And it's very clear to me because they do a lot of battery technology interviews. It's just the, the, the number of chemistries and, and different uh, technologies that are emerging out of the battery space is just going hard to keep up with it and, and billions and billions and billions of dollars being invested in it. And there will be a battery for every application. It doesn't matter whether it's your home. It doesn't matter if it's your microgrid. It doesn't matter if it's your big industrial operation that wants to self-generate with distributed energy resources. It doesn't, there will be by probably mid like 2035, all of those technologies will be mature and, and competitive and, and will be part of this. So the fact that Navius, I mean, it, you know, I, I get it. It's not just not part of Navius's model, but that's but that does seriously underestimate the the effect on the GDP, effect on on renewables, and the number of jobs that ultimately would be created. Would you agree? Oh, I would agree. Yes, uh, definitely. I mean, uh, Navius has an. I mean, I, I'm not gonna advertise for Navius, but they they do have a complementary model um, that that can capture that. Um, but it was beyond the scope of this exercise and it would have been like a, an additional modeling project on top. But uh, definitely we do underestimate in the electricity space and the clean energy supply space, uh, we, we do underestimate the jobs uh, benefits for Canada in this area on energy storage for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how this is going to uh, how this is going to play out now. Um... What about BC and Quebec? These are fascinating to me uh, because, of course, they're the biggest uh, hydro provinces. And I'm curious to what, how do you see the availability of hydro capacity, clean, really clean grids, uh, playing into uh, job creation in those provinces? Uh, I think it's a really major driver. I mean, clean electricity today already in those provinces is a is a you know really main advantage in in the net zero economy. Um, you know, those two provinces are really strong also in the electric vehicle sector. So both are on track to growing around more than fifteen percent per year. Um, hydrogen fuel cells in BC as well, fast growing industry, um, renewable power generation, you know, like solar, wind, hydropower are set to more than quadruple in BC. And uh, the other part in both provinces is high efficiency heating, ventilation and air conditioning. They're also, see, we see, we will see strong growth in a net zero scenario in those areas. Um, energy efficient buildings, shells, those kinds of things. So clean buildings, uh, along with um, clean uh, energy and the EV industry in both of these provinces are very strong too. Well, it's interesting. Where do you see the growth in in uh, BC coming in the EV industry? I mean, I know they've got some, you know, some uh, uh, what uh, Electromechanica uh, makes a little solo commuter vehicle. I live on Vancouver Island in Parksville, of all places. There's a, a company here. It's very low key. You never hear about it, uh, but it makes um, specialty electric vehicles for airports. 
you know, little uh, little industrial uh, kind of trucks to pull pull carts around and and that sort of thing. Uh, and there's an in Surrey, they're building a factory to to manufacture electric motorcycles. Uh, and so I'm kind of wondering if it occurs to me that building electric vehicles uh, is in many ways you can you can do it in in you don't have to have big clusters uh, like you do you currently do with internal combustion engine vehicles. There's the possibility to make specialty vehicles uh, in all sorts of places that you know like in BC and Quebec where you wouldn't expect it. Maybe electric buses, maybe electric um, you know commuter vehicles, whatever it might be. Uh, what's your take on that? Yeah, so um, it's important to remember so. Zero emission vehicles, electric or hydrogen powered, uh, you know, in BC, you got places like Ballard and Loop as well. Um, but besides um, vehicle manufacturing, so this this whole electric vehicle sector, uh, the clean sector of clean transportation is really quite diverse. So professional transport services, they're very labor intensive. So unless we will have autonomous vehicles, Every zero emission vehicle used for transporting goods or providing a service needs a driver. So that's that's one. And zero emission vehicles seem promising across most vehicle segments. So we can expect a lot of those kinds of jobs. But beyond those jobs, remember that we're including indirect jobs as well in our methodology. So that includes um, not only manufacturing the vehicles, but also installing installing charging and refueling infrastructure and then related services to that. And just to be clear also for the listeners, we're accounting for jobs from gasoline vehicles in the same way. So equivalent jobs involving fossil fuel vehicles, they are included in the fossil fuel sector side. So again, it's it's an apples to apples comparison. And this sector is quite diverse. Um, the whole supply chain from beginning to end, there can be a lot of direct and then on top indirect jobs. I, I'm wondering how if you modeled uh, this uh, in your in your project. It seems to me that uh, there are a lot of technologies, uh, many, many, many technologies that play an enabling role in clean energy technology. So I'm thinking uh, a good example would be artificial intelligence. You know that runs. Uh, we have a client actually, uh, and I, I've interviewed their CEO, uh, uh, Kai Philip uh, Carries. Uh, of a cure battery intelligence they're in germany and they they have cloud-based monitoring of batteries it could be in homes it could be in you know uh, transit buses it could be wherever to to monitor the the health of the batteries to make sure that they don't overheat you know you don't have a thermal runaway event and then the you know the bus burns up or something and there's so much of that built into this into this uh into the energy transition and it's kind of invisible in a way you know if you're not in if you're not watching the trade press or you're not what you know following the scientists on on linkedin something like that you miss a lot of it and and i'm you know fortunate in my position i get to see just a little smidge of it and it's a lot and i wonder how much of that canada is likely to to capture well, that, that I gotta say, that is really not exactly my area. <laughs> um, oh, fair yeah, enough. I, I didn't know, mean the financial you... sector of like I know there's like sustainability uh, criteria in the financial sector and this kind of things, or 
Yeah, it's not exactly my wheelhouse, to be honest. <laughs> oh, oh that, and that's fine. We'll we'll just leave it at, with my uh, my pithy observation and and move on. So, in the at the end of this, oh, I did want to ask about the Maritimes, about the Atlantic provinces, and uh, some of them are are uh, still burning some coal, like Nova Scotia. Uh, New Brunswick is uh, is uh, trying to become a center of uh, nuclear uh, power. Uh, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador, of course, uh, still has some hydro capacity that that it can build out. How did that all figure into the modeling? Um, let me see. Well, we like I said, we we have our basically our policy agnostic approach, and we'll see where the chips fall and where where is it. But we see also in the Atlantic provinces strong growth right um it's uh a lot of those jobs are going to be again as as we often see in in transportation but also clean energy supply and clean buildings so i think decarbonization of you know the whole electricity sector across canada that's also happening in the maritimes obviously and um i can't tell you like how is nuclear exactly going to develop or um but you know, it's the stories about decarbonizing the transportation sector, heavy industry, um, getting our buildings to be cleaner, getting our industry to clean up, and uh, elect clean electricity supply. So it's really all of these combined. And even in places like Atlantic Canada, we see strong growth. We see a growth of around six percent per year until mid-century in clean energy uh, clean energy jobs in, in the Atlantic provinces as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, Dalhousie University has got the Jeff Dahl. Uh, no, that's not right. I think I've got his name wrong. But anyway, the, the very, very uh, well-known um, battery scientist, uh, electrochemist, who runs the Tesla's lab at Dalhousie University. I mean, it, it's, it gives... It seems to me that the clean energy revolution gives places like Del, you know, Halifax and and other maritime uh, communities, if they have maybe you know strong universities, if they have industries that they can leverage, it gives them an opportunity for economic growth that maybe wasn't there uh, previously, and and I guess we'll see how they if they are able to to lever those those advantages and and take advantage of the opportunities that clean energy industry will present. Right. And I just realized, of course, one prominent recent example is, you know, the Canada Canadian federal government inking this agreement with Germany to to provide clean hydrogen right. that, that we produced uh, on the coast and in the Atlantic and, and eventually um, shipped to Germany. So, you know, that's, of course, uh, f features into the clean energy economy. It, indeed, it does. Uh, before I let you go, I'm wondering about buildings, uh, because as a job creator, renovating, uh, retrofitting uh, the, I forget how many millions of, of residential and commercial buildings we have in Canada, but it's millions and millions and millions. And I did see uh, an estimate that if we were going to retrofit all of like put heat pumps, in, in all of those buildings, we would have to be doing 600,000 heat pumps uh, installed per year, and we're only doing 20,000. And it would seem that the retrofitting buildings uh, would be a big, big job creator. 
Yeah, definitely agree with you. That's, uh, you know, the clean building sector in our modeling is, it's mostly about energy efficient building shells and it's about high, high efficiency heating, ventilation and air conditioning. So heat pumps are in there. Um, the numbers you cite, they really indicate, they illustrate the immense potential for growth. And um, yeah, it's, it's, I would definitely agree with you. Yeah, there's a big potential here. Well, Stefan, thank you very much. Really appreciate your insights. Anytime. You're welcome. Glad, uh, glad to be here. <laughs>